The following is a Goulash Media production. GoulashMedia.net Welcome to the system is down. There is not enough hours in the day. I know it's cliche to say, and it's something that I heard that it's something that I heard adults say when I was a child. But it's so true. There's not enough hours in the day. 24 hours, you've got eight of them where your body, for some reason, has to shut down and just be in sleep mode, which I think is weird. Um, Typically, eight to ten hours are working. And then you've got family. You've got children. You've got podcasts. You've got responsibilities. You've got church stuff, if you're into that. There's not enough hours in the day. It's ridiculous. I I try to get this show out at midnight, uh, Monday morning every single week, so that you guys, no matter what time you get up, if you work third shift or whatever, you can um, you can download the show and enjoy your commute a little bit more. Uh, I try to make it as convenient as possible, but man, it did not work out this week. It is almost one o'clock here in illustrious Illinois. And I am just now recording this intro because it's been a slog of a weekend. It's been a fun weekend. Um, my wife's been out of town. She's visiting uh, her sister who just had a baby. They're out in Colorado. So it's just been me and the kids. We went and saw Incredibles 2 and did some fun stuff. Got some food. And I filmed a wedding on Saturday, which was a lot of fun. That's my occupation. That's what really pays the real bills. But, you know, it, it's all dragged me down to this point where it's like, uh, why isn't it done yet? <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I try to keep it as real as possible. Usually these intros are just, you know, brief little, hey, how you doing? Here's the show stuff. But just letting you guys know that I, I'm busting my butt to make sure that you are getting this at least sometime Monday morning. It's a little later than usual if you are a third shifter, but you're going to get this on Monday morning. Most of you probably don't listen to it till later, but to those of you who wake up really early, I apologize. I'm going to get it done. That's what I'm that, that's what I'm doing now. That's what's happening. That's what this is. Uh <sighs> I have a good life. I'm not complaining. I, I love my kids. I love my job. I love my family. Love this podcast. Love you guys. All of you. Um, thank you so much for listening. But just letting you know, it can be a grind sometimes. It can be a fun grind sometimes. So, what's up, guys? What's up, downers? Welcome back to the show. The least comfortable podcast on the web, the least comfortable show on the web. The system is down the place where we talk about, you know it, you love it, conspiracies, politics, religion, the things that trigger you, the things that make you uncomfortable, things that your family prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. My name is Dan Smuts, and I am the host of the show. My, my thoughts might also wonder, wonder? They might also wander because it's really late. And I just got off an episode of Anti-News with Craig that will be in the bonus later today. So go check that out at patreon.com forward slash the system is down. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. 
But <laughs> if you're new here, welcome to the show. Uh, today's going to be a fun one, as they always are. I always say it because they always are fun. I'm talking to you, Remzo Martinez. He's a good friend of the show. Um, he actually uh, co-hosts one of the bonus episodes, one of the bonus shows that we do. Uh, called Would You Rather Wednesday, which we talked about a little bit in the in the conversation that we had. But he's a good friend of the show. He's been on the show before. He was on way back talking about um, ghost hunting with his Haunted Republic stuff. And we're going to get an update on that. But more importantly, we're talking about his book that just came out called Stay Away from the Libertarians. So we don't just plug the book. Um, we talk about uh, anarchy and a lot of issues and a lot of things that the book pertains to and digs into. So uh, it was a really fun conversation. It's always fun talking to Remzo. We're going to jump into that here in just about maybe 45 seconds. But before we do, as you know, the Downers Club is a place that you should be. It's a, it's a club that you should join. Uh, it's what keeps the show going. It's what keeps me up till 1 o'clock in the morning on Monday to make sure that you get your weekly dose of discomfort. The Downers Club is our patron program that you can join by going to patreon.com forward slash the system is down and members of the Downers Club get a whole bunch of perks. We've got a bunch of different levels over there. Uh, the base level, you know, anything $5 or more, you know, cup of coffee, cup of coffee a month, not too bad. Uh, that gets you all of the bonus audio content, which we do two to three, sometimes more episodes every single week. And we try to keep it lively and weird. We do the anti-news where Craig and I break down what's happening in the world today and give our color commentary on it. Remzo and I do Would You Rather Wednesday, as I said, um, where we just play a horrifying game of Would You Rather uh, we do Rotten Potatoes movie and TV reviews where we uh, give our thoughts on the latest things that are happening in movies and television. And uh, whenever we can, whenever the guest will allow, if I can get a guest on for a bonus segment, we do that quite often as well. So go join and help support the show. Help us grow. Help us make this thing bigger and better. I I am currently throwing some money at some new tech advances that will make the audio and video quality of this show way better than it has ever been. So please help me out. It'd be great. There's a lot of a lot more overhead cost to a podcast than you might think. It's not just talking into a mic. I mean, the mic costs some money and all the gear costs some money. But uh, the hosting, um, using these streaming services and using them to host live episodes, which we're working on, that costs money. Everything costs money. So every donation that you give is helping make the show better. I do not pocket a single dime at this point. Um, if I could, that'd be great. And I could spend all of my time just doing this show. But until then, I am totally happy and grateful or you guys helping support the show and helping me make this thing into something that I never thought it would be. So if you want to be a part of that, if you want to get a bunch of bonus audio content, a bunch of other perks, go check out the perks. Go check out the levels at patreon.com forward slash the system is down and join the Downers Club. The links are in the show notes, show description, all that stuff. All right. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, let's get into this. Let's get into my conversation with the illustrious Remzo Martinez about stay away from the libertarians. 
Let's get weird. My guest today is former podcaster, former radio guy, uh, repeat offender returner to the show, um, Remzo Martinez, who is now working on a bunch of new creative endeavors, uh, not the least of which being a TV show and now a book. So, Remzo, what the hell's going on, man? Life is full of some weird crap, dude. Indeed. I'm going I'm going 20 million different directions and I don't even know how I got here. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. This is I would say your your third time coming on the show because this is actually our second time recording this uh this talking about what's going on in your life attempt. Uh, last time we had some fun technical difficulties with Zoom deciding not to give me the audio after we recorded the entire episode. So hopefully this one, you know, will stick. Skynet, um, dude. Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, Remzo, you are also the co-host of the Would You Rather Wednesday episodes that we do as bonus for the Downers Club. What I'm most known for. That dude. is obviously the number one yeah. thing on your resume right now, and the only yeah. way you're getting these other uh, opportunities to expand your brand um, you want to tell people about uh, Would You Rather Wednesday and what they can expect from that? If you like fun, clean, family fun, you will not get that with Would You Rather Wednesday, <laughs> where Dan and I go ahead and subject each other to some of the cruelest, most disgusting Would You Rather scenarios under the sun. So if you hate yourself, want to go ahead and get away from your girlfriends, your friends, your family, your dog for at least half an hour a day. And go ahead and have us attack each other for you. Check out Would You Rather Wednesday on the Downers Patreon program and everything else. TSI, or no, patreon.com forward slash the system is down for as little as $5 a month. Anyway, let's get back to you. Um, so last time you were here, we were talking about your uh, ghost hunting endeavors and uh, all the fun with that. What's going on with that? What's the, I know that you've, you know, kind of branched out a bit with that and you're taking it in kind of a new direction you had some opportunities come up give the quick rundown on what's going on with uh haunted republic yeah so haunted republic became an online like internet sensation and i didn't even realize it and uh we picked up a bit of a cult following thanks to the um several haunted republic documentaries that we put on youtube and Honestly, like when we started it, we always kind of thought that it would just remain as kind of like something we did for Patreon. We have some Patreon exclusive episodes of uh, Haunted Republic for my program. But we did put out some of the episodes for free just to kind of attract people and to let them know what we were doing. Because, you know, it's it's okay to put out a free one every once in a while. But, you know, they're getting thousands and thousands of viewers and people are really really digging what we were doing and ryan the other host of haunted republic and i were just kind of watching it and what we realized was people like the fact that we were coming into this whole paranormal arena with a very journalistic aspect we tried to treat it as objectively as possible and that's not something that you see on a lot of the network haunting shows so Haunted Republic was just going 20 million miles per hour. Within 2017 alone, I'm pretty sure that I made more appearances to talk about uh, Haunted Republic St. Albans Sanatorium. That was our first film that came out, and that's on YouTube. 
more than my political commentary, which is what I, uh, you know, where I get the most bang for my buck. So ghosts it's really are more fun funny. than politics. Go, ghosts are more fun than <laughs> politics. I mean, that's just that's the basic truth. And I'd rather hang around dead people than with politics. But um, but Ryan and I were deciding, you know, where do we want to go for this? We want to go ahead and expand our audience. We want to go ahead and have more opportunities to make things, you know, more. Uh, more professional i'll go ahead and say that we wanted to go ahead and up the ante on what we could do so what we did was we pitched the show to a couple networks and we had a couple other um big cable networks reach out to us i won't say their names but they they were two um cable networks that are known for most of these paranormal ghost hunting shows and we almost took one but the problem is that if we were to have taken their contract to start a show with them, we would have had no control over the, you know, creative direction of the program. We would have essentially been paid actors. And secondly, I'm sorry. And lastly, we wouldn't have had, you know, really any say in what is shown and what isn't shown. And when you're trying to do a show about ghost hunting, you have to have that control because what a lot of shows in the past have gotten in trouble for is faking stuff or making things that uh you know didn't happen happen for false claims so we didn't want to just become a mouthpiece for a network so they could have a show that's going to attract a bunch of people and essentially we were lying to our audience mm-hmm. because we think that's the biggest draw to haunted republic the fact that we were journalists they're actually trying to figure out what the hell is going on so essentially ryan and i were like okay how do we get what we want without losing everything that we've built in the process our reputations so we pitched a new show to Fairfax County Public Access here in Fairfax, Virginia, and it's going to be called Witching Hour. It's basically the spiritual successor to Haunted Republic, and it'll start this October. And for those of you, obviously, because most of our listeners and the Haunted Republic fans don't live in Fairfax County, Virginia, after they air on TV, they'll be available online. So you'll still be able to catch all of the Witching Hour online. And this is really good because we uh, were the full – I mean we're the, we're the producers for the show. We're the directors for the show. Nothing in terms of the creative input of the witching hour is uh, you know, out of our hands. We have full control over what is shown. And this way we get to expand on to 250,000 TVs that mm-hmm. tune in weekly to this network and – we're going to have so many more capabilities to make this series the best it possibly can and have fun in the process and go to the places that other shows won't go and, you know, give it the, the serious type of attention that these places require. And I, I think we're going to, I think people are going to be really impressed because the places that we've been have been, uh, you know, they, they were places that we could not have gone in without network support so to speak. So I, I think people are going to really love what's coming up and it'll be here in uh, in mid October, more information to follow. Very cool. So do you, do you know what kind of the format's going to be? Is it going to be very similar to Honda Republic? Or is it, it going to have to be down? Is it going to have to be like 20 to 30 minutes or you have pretty free reign? Well, the, the cool thing is with this, it's going to be an hour long. Whereas with Honda Republic, they were usually half hour episodes. Nice. So not only are you getting twice Mm-hmm. the show but uh one thing a lot of people wanted was they wanted more of a of a history lesson to also go along with 
the actual investigation because usually we just jump straight into the investigation. Mm. So um, we'll be diving a lot more into the history of the locations we're going to. You'll see a lot more of um, the process as to how we set up, what we do, examples of a lot of the new technology we've gotten. We've gotten a lot of cool gadgets that people are really going to you know, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna freak out over because this is some, this is some sci-fi level crap. And I was like, this exists, let's try it out. So (laughs) we have a lot, we have a lot more toys at our disposal. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's double the fun, double the hauntings, double the information. I mean, it's just, there, there's so much more we're able to do now. And it's, uh, I mean, if you loved Haunted Republic, you're gonna love the witching hour. Very cool. Looking forward to it. Now, uh, I said at the top of the interview that you're a former podcaster, and that might be news to some that uh, the Ramzo Republic is no longer a thing. Can you you want to share what happened there? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's something that broke a lot of hearts, but I was at a point in my life where there were a lot of opportunities I wanted to take and a lot of things that I had to somewhat sacrifice in order to take them. And with the podcast, I mean, here's the thing we did over, um, 150 episodes of the show. That was a lot mm-hmm. over a two year span. And we've accomplished a lot of, uh, of stuff in terms of that. I mean, we were on the trending charts for iTunes multiple times. We were, uh, 2017, uh, podcast awards nominee for news and politics. And, on their last episode alone, we had Dr. Ron Paul. So, I mean, the show, the show probably could have gone on in my mind, at least it could have gone on forever. forever. Realistically, <laughs> I'm thinking that within a couple of years, I probably would have ended it. But the thing is, there were a lot of things that I wanted to do now that I, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do if I kept focusing on the, on the podcast. And the thing about a lot of podcasters, especially a lot of political podcasts, is that you either end the show or the show ends you. As right. in it, just, it, it just gets crappy and people tune out and the audience kills your show. I think people so, are going to say that about this one. They're like, you should have wrapped it up a couple episodes ago. Well, I mean, I, I'm a big I'm a big Walker Texas Ranger fan, and uh, Walker Texas Ranger only lasted a couple of seasons. And people were like, "You had one of the top rated shows on TV. Why'd you end it?" And Chuck Norris was like, "I didn't want to lose. I didn't want to water down the show. I didn't want right. things to start getting repetitive. I didn't want the network to cancel me, right? Essentially. And now I I, I totally got that." Because, you know, I, I wanted to do stuff like focus on the new TV show, which is very different from, you know, the Remster Republic. This is all about hauntings. Yeah, and yeah. the Remster Republic was all about politics. I don't just want to be known as the guy screaming about politics all the time. There's more to me than just that. Right. Apart right. from that, you know, I, I've been writing a book for a year. And I, you know, I had to put a lot of time towards work, towards other stuff and the podcast. I just knew like, hey, this book needs to get done. I need to treat it like a priority. Mm-hmm. So if I had done that, then I probably would have had to take more than a season off of the Remster Republic because it was a seasonal show. So it was getting to the point where I was really just trying to find every excuse to end it. And that may sound like I hate it, but you know, the, the biggest thing was this. I think it was I think it had a very amazing run. We had some very great opportunities because of it. And I think now it just needed to take it. It was not not the priority I needed to make it. Mm -hmm. Now, I do want to bring 
back something like the Remser Republic one day. I, you know, I told my audience back in April that I was trying to get into full-time radio. I had a show that was in the proposal process for another network here in Virginia. It was going to be a hour-long weekend FM show that was also going to be put into a podcast, and that way, no more season breaks. You get a full hour instead of half an hour, and I get so many more opportunities and stuff at my disposal when you're working for a network. And, you know, the network, as I walked in to basically sign the dotted line, they were like, we'd rather go ahead and re-air episodes of uh, Glenn Beck from the weekdays <laughs> instead of put an hour into a wholly original show. Right. So right. at that point, I was like, you know what? This obviously isn't the time for me. Maybe I should go back to the Remster Republic. At that point, I was like, uh, you know, I already told people I was ending it, but I'm also not prepared to come back. Mm -hmm. I don't want to seem like I'm coming back because I'm scorned. So what should I do? I need to focus on the show. I need to focus on the book. Because if I'm supposed to go back into radio or podcasting, I think I will be ready for that. And I'll be like, now is the time. But, you know, the thing about life is you have to get ready to evolve and grow and try different things. And honestly, I can say that if I had kept doing the Remster Republic, I wouldn't have been doing the book. And I certainly wouldn't have been getting ready for the witching hour with Ryan. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, honestly, like I'm at peace with it. And I know that one day I'll, I'll get back behind the microphone. But, you know, for now, I think what I had to do was this. I had to go ahead and put out the greatest paranormal pod, uh, the greatest paranormal investigative show I possibly could, but also write this book because I do think that stay away from the libertarians is a book of its time. It's it's covering topics that are never covered. And while it's definitely I will say this, it's not the best libertarian book ever written. I do think it's the funniest libertarian book ever written. So I think everything comes when it needs to come. And I think now it's a uh, it's it's time. Sure. So let's talk about this book. Uh, it's something totally new for you. Your first book you've written. What was it that convinced you to that this is something that needs to happen in the world? I've uh, I've been a political consultant most of my adult life, and when people meet me, they I, I'd like to say that I have a very unique view on politics because especially here in Virginia, you don't find many open libertarians. It's almost like coming out of the closet. It's like you're coming out libertarian, and when people find out I'm a libertarian. They kind of freak out. They don't know how to react to me. They don't know what's really going on. They just have all these negative stereotypes. And the thing is, when it comes to libertarianism, we have the best ideas. We have the worst stereotypes. There was also this uh, meme I saw probably a year ago. It's of this little kid and his mom, and they're walking down the street, and the kid tugs on his mom's arm, and he says, look, mommy, libertarians. And the mom is like in the next panel beneath that. Uh, she's like, don't look at them, Billy. I don't want you to be influenced by there. And then she's like, oh, my God. And you see the kid, and he goes from looking like a normal kid to having like the anarchy ball for a face and he's wearing a bow tie and a Ron Paul revolution shirt. He's like taxation is theft. No victim, no crime. And the fed it's too late mother. I've seen everything. And the mom's just screaming. No. <laughs> so I, I tagged my mom in that photo on Facebook and I said, look mom, it's you and me growing up. Right. And she said, that's exactly my life. 
And, uh, you know, we had a good laugh about that. But, you know, it, it planted this idea in my head. Why do people hate libertarians? Because you don't find many people that are, you know, in the middle about them. They either really love libertarians or they really hate libertarians. And sadly, I've encountered more people that hate libertarians sure. on the left and on the right. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of research that. You know, why is this the why is this the way it is? It's more than just, oh, you guys have the naked guy at the convention or the guy that wants to, uh, you know, abolish age of consent laws. It's a lot deeper than that. There's a lot more of a worldview thing going on. And uh, what I saw was that no one has really done that research before. And when people have, you know, it's in these very academic articles and there's just it's, it's just boring impersonal stuff. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to go ahead and basically answer that question. Why do people hate libertarians? Why do people tell you to stay away from them? But at the same time, also provide a mirror to libertarians to kind of show them what the problem is that they might be contributing to. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, uh, you know, I also tell a lot of personal stories from my journey because what I also want to do is I want to put a face to this because I think I'm a pretty average guy. And if people can see that, you know, a guy like me can be a libertarian, they'll realize that, you know, libertarians can be anybody. They're your neighbor. They're your friends. They're your coworker. They're the mailman. They're not these guys that are shooting up heroin, uh, you know, buying ghost guns of Bitcoin, screaming about roads. <laughs> not always. Sometimes. Not always. Only on Tuesdays for me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really wanted to go ahead and do that. And uh, it was it was a fun book to investigate. It, uh, you know, and a lot of the libertarian history and everything else and a lot of the um, insights I kind of threw into this book. I, I think I finally put my political science degree. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those situations where it's like this is a question that has probably been bugging a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Why don't we have the answer? And it got to the point where it was like, you know, I think I could do a pretty good job at this. Sure. And, and I should should preface before we get too deep into this that I have not had a chance to read your book yet. You sent me a copy, but I'm not piece of shit. I'm not much a reader. Uh, if you had a, an audio audio copy, if you want, I can record it. I can read the book and give my own commentary on it for the audio book. The throw up on <laughs> Audible. Uh, just throwing that out there. Um, I have not had a chance to read it, so I I, I endorse you. And I, I'm sure that it's it's good because um, I know you. You're a good friend of the show and everything. Um, but can't say that you it's should a, read it to your children, Dan. So that way you work on your reading and you help your kids <laughs> in the process. That is true. I I, I probably should. Um, if you want, we can just spend the rest of this episode just reading the book out loud to each other. <laughs> 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 but yeah, uh, Hopefully you don't let me down because um, I'm endorsing you blindly for this book. So, so kind of what was your uh, your your point behind it? Um, was it to give mostly the back end, the history of liber libertarianism, or is it more to like find new people and get them interested in a new, fun, different way than is usually represented um, by the party? Yeah, I mean, and this book, what what I do, and you know, just kind of touch on that one thing you said by the party. This book is not necessarily for big L libertarians. You much catch that. About, you know, it's, no, I mean, it's perfect. You, <laughs> it's perfect. You bring that up because I mean, this is another thing when people, when you say you're a libertarian, people automatically assume you're a member of the libertarian party. And, 
And that's just not the truth. And that's another thing I discuss in the book. And I mean, the, the thing is, if you want a libertarian manifesto, if you want an introduction to libertarianism, something that really teaches you about the philosophy of liberty, there are people that are way smarter than me who have done a much better job. I mean, those books are out there. Mine is, um, to its credit, incredibly different because I've avoided those. I've avoided. I've avoided that lesson because I don't think a lot of people, when they go ahead and they go ahead and pick up a book on libertarianism, they're not necessarily looking at you know what is libertarianism. I think a lot of them are looking at things to argue with. Inherently, inherently, right. And um, you know, my book, it it goes ahead and it brings up those accusations that you're gonna go ahead and throw at me. Are we a bunch of anarchists? What do we want? Prostitutes on every corner. Do we want uh, abortion on demand? Mm -hmm. Do we want crack cocaine vending machines in public schools? Do we steal votes? Are we moral relativists? Are we a authentic political ideology or are we just centrist? So what I do is I kind of break that down throughout the book. And the book actually spans about uh, four or five years. It starts uh, – it really kind of starts in 2011, 2012, and it ends in 2017 in terms of like the story sequence where you're basically following me from when – I was just what I would consider just a very apathetic, agnostic Fox News Republican. Right. To where I am now, where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a Republican, but I'm not a conservative. I don't think I've called myself conservative since 2011. And uh, I'm also very agnostic when it comes to the party process itself, especially when it comes to, you know, what party politics has turned into, which is really just a Rorschach. Uh, I mean, it's anything you want it to be, and it's absolutely nothing you need it to be. So I, I think this book, it, it covers everything you could possibly think about libertarians with, uh, both positive and negative. And in terms of the history that it covers, it covers a lot more of like the sociology, so to speak. So, you know, a lot of other introduction to libertarian books, they talk about the history of it, or they talk about the philosophy of it. What I talk about is I, I'm putting I'm putting faces to names and I'm really covering a lot of the stuff that unless you're really in the weeds of politics and then you go into the you know the real minute niche details of libertarian politics, you won't get that unless you're doing a lot of research to understand how we've gotten from point A to B. And what I've done is I've done that research for you. So that that was kind of the premise. It's okay. Let's just go to the obvious areas that people have problems with, mm -hmm. and let, let's talk about it. Sure. So, do you take hard stances in the book? Like you said, things like the prostitution, drugs, and stuff like that. Do you take hard stances? Because obviously, libertarians kind of vary on their answers for those things. Do you say this is what I think, or do you say this is what libertarians are? Or I do I, I do that? I do a bit of both because I think the biggest problem you have is that you know you can put five libertarians in a room and ask them what libertarianism <laughs> is and they'll give you five different answers. Yeah. So what I do is in certain situations I give the vague where does the philosophy point to and then I point to where other people have gotten to in terms of their conclusions and then I uh, you know I, I'll, I'll put in my stance in certain things and that's actually an entire uh, subchapter in the book where I'm giving lessons for libertarians mm -hmm. and one thing I mention is listen 
there, there's no coherent answer for everything and it's okay to go away from orthodoxy because no one is ever a hundred percent something. No one's ever a hundred percent liberal or a hundred percent conservative or even a hundred percent libertarian. And that's okay because that's being an individual. Uh, you know, some things I mention is, you know, I, you know, I know this definitely triggers some people, but I've always been open. I'm not saying I support, but I'm always been open to the idea of universal basic income. Explain. And, Universal basic income <laughs> is the concept that the government gives you once a year a lump sum of money that theoretically is supposed to go ahead and take care of all your basic needs so you could survive. So from a Milton Friedman libertarian type of view, what this would do is this would eliminate the welfare state and this would also eliminate poverty. Um, then there's you know the attack on it, which basically says with you know one. How much money is enough money? Two, where does inflation come into play? Three, does this mean you have to increase taxes? And then the very obvious conclusion that you can come to with this, what do you have the day after you give everyone their money? You have income inequality. So there's a lot of pros and there's a lot of cons with the universal basic income. And I actually do think that UBI is going to be the topic of, uh, you know, it, it's definitely got to come up in 2020, but over the next couple decades or so, it's definitely going to be something that people bring up. I mean, they tried doing it in, I think, Finland, and it failed. And But they've tried doing it in some U.S. cities. Uh, you know, nonprofits, think tanks have tried to do it. And they're actually getting some pretty interesting results. So I've always been willing to say, okay, why don't we just talk about it? What's wrong with experimenting with it? And then you have some libertarians who will just scream, you're a socialist. It's like if an idea works, let's see. If it doesn't work, well, at least we'll know the answer. And then, the, you know, I also say that I'm a supporter of transhumanism. Uh, you know, that freaks out some libertarians because they're like, oh, well, you know, people will lose jobs if they uh, have to compete against robots. And you have <laughs> Christians. They're like, this is ungodly. I, I come to it from an individual's perspective. If you want to go ahead and do something to yourself, you own yourself. You should have the right to do so. I can't tell you no, and I'm certainly not going to push for a legislation that tells you no, because who am I to dictate that? You're only potentially harming yourself. And uh, a couple of other things, but uh, you know, towards the end of the book, uh, I talk about immigration, and the one thing I do point out is that you know I take a very different view from a lot of other libertarians who are for open borders, and I say I believe that the nation state is a is a necessary function in society and that one of its only jobs is to actually uh, protect its nation. And by doing so, it has to have control over the borders. And that's something that really freaks people out. And what I basically say is, listen, that might not be a libertarian position. I'm willing to say that. So that's um, th those are a couple of examples. I, I do like I'm already anticipating that the biggest problem people will have is when I say that anarchists aren't libertarians. Oh snap! Yeah, like that's I, I wanted to not bring that up, but you know, it just kept <laughs> got popping up in my head. It's like point out the giant anarchist elephant in the room. <laughs> but I can already tell you that I, I'm pretty strong on that. Uh, anarchists are not libertarians. They're not libertarians. So they do not belong in the Libertarian Party. Where are you going they with this? They could. I mean, you know, people <laughs> say that Libertarians don't belong in the Republican Party, but I'm there. 
I mean, calling an anarchist a libertarian is a lot like calling an anarchist a conservative or calling an anarchist a progressive. They're just two very different things. Uh, in one chapter of the book, I discussed the problems of the Libertarian Party, and one of the biggest sources of animosity that I point to are the Dallas Accords, which were done in 1976 to unite the party as a big tent type of party with minarchists and anarchists. Mm -hmm. And essentially what they did during the Dallas Accords is they created the most vaguely written um, mission statement and you know statement of principles that you could ever possibly – conceive of and the biggest issue at the libertarian party is what they've always encountered since then it's are they a limited government party or are they a no government party right and the thing is you know libertarianism is based off the classical liberal principles of Locke and hume and jefferson and madison where they believed in an incredibly limited government whereas anarchism does not believe in government so how can you have a political party that doesn't know whether they want to have a government or not and when i say that libertarians aren't anarchists or anarchists aren't libertarians people freak out because they think it's an insult because i also do think that they're incredibly sensitive but the other thing is you know i i just think that it's time we're just honest about it there's nothing wrong if you're an anarchist you just can't be a libertarian just like if you're a libertarian you can't be an anarchist just like if you're a libertarian you can't be a communist if you're a libertarian you can't be a progressive you either are what you are or you're not. And anarchists, I mean, there are many anarchists in the Libertarian Party. And when I was a member of the Libertarian Party, some of them were really awesome. Some of them were really freaking stupid. <laughs> it's just it's just how it rolls. And you are what you are. And if you want to go ahead and advance something, go ahead and do it. But, you know, if I go work at Burger King and my job is to sell burgers and next thing you know, I'm, uh, you know, trying to sell pancakes or something, <laughs> do doesn't my boss have the right to fire me? Sure. Like, I mean, that's just how it is. And I don't understand why this is such a contentious point of conversation for people, because next thing you know, they start doing the SJW rescreen and it's like. Just calm the hell down. It's like saying you identify as a black person if you're white. You can't identify as a libertarian if you're an anarchist. That's just how it is. You can't rewrite the laws of reality to fix that. Libertarians don't believe in no government. They just believe in an extremely limited government. Do you think the tent should shrink? No, because I do think that there are a lot of really good anarchist candidates who have ran as libertarians, and they go ahead and they don't say, okay, on day one of my administration or whatever, I'm going to abolish the state. <laughs> they understand how reality works, and if they want to go ahead and uh, run as libertarians, more power to them. If they want to go ahead and run as anything, more power to them. Uh, the problem with with anarchists, though, is that they far too often just, you know, honestly, I think that they're a little petty dictators because what they want to do in their anarchist utopia is whenever they get elected to anything, just abolish everything around them. Here's the thing about the world. You have status. You have libertarians. You have people that don't care. Mm -hmm. I have as much of a problem with a person that says on day one of their ideal world they want a completely libertarian utopia as much as I have with a communist that says they want a completely authoritarian hellhole. Right. <laughs> so <clears throat> what 
I mean, you've kind of given a, a bit of a vague answer to it, this concept that you, this hole that you've dug for yourself so gracefully. Um, what is the different, like you say that anarchists cannot be libertarian because they, because libertarian believes in some sort of government, but the tent has been expanded to include no government, uh, just li limiting everything as much as humanly possible. Um, so do you have a problem with where it stands? Do you think that them being a part of the party, do you think that that confuses and muddies the waters because there is such a, a big tent and wide range of descriptions for libertarianism and you're tr you're writing this book to try and tell people this is what libertarianism is, but it's kind of like it, it's a big a big map of differences and opinions. Do you think it makes it harder for people to really get into it cuz they're like I'm not really sure what you guys stand for other than liberty obviously like you think this you think that you're pro-abortion you're pro-life you're this whatever do you think that's a problem i do and i give kind of what i consider a cop-out answer but i only give it because i think it's the only valid answer you can come to it's that you have to yeah you have to address things as they are and you have to go ahead and call a spade a spade and a heart a heart and if you, you know, if you can come to your conclusion based on reason, you can basically, you know, be, be the individual you want. And that's the biggest thing I try and emphasize throughout the book. Libertarianism, at the end of the day, is about the radical notion that you own yourself and that you have the right to exercise and protect your freedoms no matter what situation. And as long as you believe in that basic principle, you have an ally with me. Uh, when we go ahead and talk about the Libertarian Party specifically, I just think that it's anemic because it doesn't know what it wants to be. Does it want to be a no government party or does it want to be a limited government party? No government and some government are two very distinctly different worldviews. And, you know, I don't care what option they go with, but they have to pick one because when you're constantly arguing over that, I mean, that's a very big thing to talk about. Right. Um, you know, I, I bring up the fact that I'm a Republican and I do, you know, give a lot of examples of libertarian Republicans, but you see, they take it on an issue by issue thing. Um, you know, my former boss, Congressman Tom Garrett, who's a self-identified conservatarian, he's a Republican. Um, he put forth some of the most, uh, anti-drug war legislation that we've seen in several decades. I mean, within his first year, he wanted to basically remove all federal marijuana legislation in the country. Hmm. Like, that's a very big fucking deal. Right. Like, what you have basically said is the federal government has no role in that. There are going to be a lot of angry, unemployed DEA agents. <laughs> yeah. And then you have some people that are pushing for constitutional carry, which would basically eliminate the permit process for that, for uh, concealing and open carry. So, I mean, those are very, very libertarian points. So here you have people that are getting stuff done, advancing individual liberty, and then you have people fighting about whether or not, uh, you know, someone is a statist or not. Now, when I worked for the Libertarian Party, one of my first campaigns was as a policy analyst for a guy out here in Virginia who was running for House of Delegates. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to go ahead and propose that if he was elected, he would put back in uh, the House of Delegates legislation that would propose um, basically 
reinstituting the Tim Tebow Act. For those of you that don't know what the Tim Tebow Act was, was it was essentially a bill that said homeschool kids have the right to go participate in public school sports. Because our idea was that, you know, if a family, because this is just how it is, a homeschool family still has to pay taxes that go to public schools, shouldn't they be allowed to utilize that? So that's a very school choice type of bill. Mm-hmm. Um, the secretary of the Libertarian Party of Virginia at the time went online and basically called my candidate and the rest of us status and that in a perfect libertarian utopia. And he was the, one of the founders of the Libertarian Party Radical Caucus, by the way, just a bunch of angry anarchists. <laughs> and what he basically said was uh, in a anarchist utopia, there would be no public schools. Therefore, libertarians should not um, – you know, acknowledge the existence or validity of them and that he would not support us. Public schools, ignore them till they go away, right? Yeah, and that that was his (laughs) biggest thing. It's like, why should we give them any validation or recognition? And that's like, because they're there. Because they exist. (laughs) Like, show people in some way that freedom works, and not only will they support you on that, but maybe they'll be willing to go ahead and work with you on other things you have to offer. And I'm sorry, allowing homeschool kids to go participate in public school sports is not what I think of when I think of a statist. <laughs> now, we had other things that he had a problem with. We, uh, we had a plan to phase out the income tax. So our initial um, policy stance on that was we will bring down the, the state income tax. His problem was, why don't you just say abolish it up front? And we were like, well, you know, there's this thing called deficit spending. And you know what's not going to happen if you say that? What? It, it's it's not going to take the school away. <laughs> no matter how much you I, just throwing those words out there is never going to change people's minds. It's never going to put into – it's not going to abolish the state. It's not going to even convince anybody of your point by throwing that in there uh, on every single topic that comes up that has anything to do with public schools or uh, anything with, with government. Yeah, like it just turns into a giant liberty pissing contest. And, um, you know, I think one of the greatest examples of, you know, adults in action right now trying to put ideas into policy is what we're seeing with uh, Adam Kokesh, who's running for not president uh, in 2020. So he's seeking the Libertarian Party nomination to basically be their uh, their nominee to become president so then he could technically not be president because what he'll do is he'll eliminate the federal government. <laughs> now, you compare him to the last big anarchist we had run for the LP nomination in 2016, Daryl W. Perry. They're both, they both essentially believe in the same stuff, like toe-to-toe on everything. Mm-hmm. But what's the biggest difference between an Adam Kokesh candidacy and a Daryl W. Perry candidacy? Theoretically, Adam Kokesh could become president. Theoretically, Daryl W. Perry could never in a million Twilight Zone years ever become president because Adam Kokesh is doing the work needed to be a legitimate candidate. He's doing all the filings. He's doing all the paperwork. He's following all the rules. Right. Daryl W. Perry never did any of that because he didn't want to validate the authority of the state. He didn't want to acknowledge it existed. So if let's say Daryl W. Perry had taken the nomination in 2016, 
the Libertarian Party would have not been able to put a single candidate on the ballot. Right. I mean, would not have been able to put the presidential ticket for the Libertarian Party on the ballot. And even if, let's say, he got like every write-in vote there is, he wouldn't have legally been allowed to be president mm-hmm. because he didn't do any of the work. He also yeah, didn't it's like race either. It's like showing up to a baseball game and being like, I want to play with you guys. I want to be on this team, but I don't believe in baseball, so I didn't bring the balls or the bats, so let's play baseball. I, I liked a lot of the points that Daryl W. Perry made. I didn't think he was a good speaker, but I liked a lot of the points that he made. Um, but it's like if you're not going to do the things that need to be done for you to get on the, the ticket, then it it makes no difference. What are you even doing? You're just wasting everybody's time because um, – you might be able to change something from within, but you have to get in there first. It, it, I, it just blows my mind that I don't understand how the party would allow somebody to even be in the debates and be a part of the process if they refused to follow the rules of the process. Yeah, because the anarchists are the people that will spend time and money to fly out to a convention to vote for someone who who could never have a chance of even running as president. And they'll also fight tooth and nail to make sure that NOTA, none of the above, is on the ballot. But these are the people that will never donate to a local campaign. These are the people that will never go door knocking. These are the people that will never go lobbying. These are the people that never do anything. But they're the biggest whiners you will find anywhere. Worse than leftists. Honestly, I would say they're worse than leftists. Mm. They're liberty LARPers. (laughs) Because at least a leftist will go out and vote for their ideas. (laughs) You're lucky if these anarchists who go ahead and try and say that libertarian candidates are not libertarian enough for them, you're lucky if they even show up to vote for you. Right. Hey, Dan Smots here. I'm taking a second to interrupt myself talking to talk about myself because... You know, I don't get paid a penny for the hours and hours that I put into creating this show for you guys in your greedy little ears. And I've got a family to feed. To make that happen, I run my own media business called Goulash Media. If you have a need in anything from video production to graphic design to audio production and beyond, you can get it all for a painfully fair price at Goulash Media. In video, I do weddings, music videos, commercials, pageants, plays, etc, etc, etc. For design, I do photo editing, album art, logos, branding, business cards, merchandise, you name it. For audio, I do engineering engineering, production, editing, jingles, and, well, podcasts. So if you've got a media need of any kind, or if you'd just like to give a little something back and help keep my children fed, check out all the endless options at my website, goulashmedia.net. That's goulash, G-O-U-L-A-S-H, media.net, where we cater to the little guy with the big vision. (sighs) Okay. Now, let's get back to your book, because I'm sure it's not just 100% anarchist bashing. Um, and whoever is uh, still listening to this um, might be interested to know what the book is about, since that's what we're here to talk about. So let's, uh, I'll just, uh, well, the chapters, the chapter titles are pretty entertaining on their own, so I'm looking forward to uh, getting into the book and seeing what it's about. Um, I'll go through some of the titles, and you can you just, you don't have to spoil anything that you don't want to, but just give like a quick rundown of why the absurd title is what it is for each one. You, you dig? You game? I dig. All right. Mitt Romney's worst volunteer. 
around the time that Mitt Romney was about to go toe-to-toe with Barack Obama, I signed up to be a volunteer for his campaign because I was getting involved in politics. And uh, I also needed something to show that I was active in the community for a college application. So I went ahead and signed up for the local Republican Party to be a volunteer for Mitt Romney. But around the time that I was also coming to terms with my own political beliefs, before I knocked on a single door or made a single phone call, I basically ghosted them. And when they were like, Remso, where are you? I basically hid because (laughs) I also really didn't want to work for that guy. But at the same time, I was also too scared to say I quit. Mm -hmm. So I was in this really weird conundrum where it was like I've tried all this time to try and get involved in this stuff and I have a great opportunity to do it. But at the same time, I have all these weird beliefs that this guy is juxtaposing. And that other Republicans just don't jive with. Right. So at the same time, I feel like I could potentially be helping someone that I don't even really like. <laughs> so that that's a, that's a general overview of that chapter. It was coming to that realization. So your career in politics started with you fleeing as quickly as you could from your career in politics. <laughs> I was a shitbag. Yeah. <laughs> Spoken like a true politician. Uh, are, are you planning on running for office anytime soon? I never say never. All right. All right. But anytime soon. <laughs> I never say never. Are we, are we letting the cat out of the bag here? <laughs> I never say never. That that will, uh, I, I imagine somebody will dig up your Mitt Romney's worst volunteer story and use that against you. So, someone will find the emails <laughs> where they're like, where the hell is Remso? <laughs> yeah. WikiLeaks will put it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, chapter four, put the kitten down. So one of the biggest misconceptions about libertarianism, and I think public schools really push this if they ever do talk about libertarianism, is it's basically radical centrism. It's uh, basically being a moderate. And the real disgusting version of a definition of libertarianism is basically being, you know, Fiscally conservative and socially liberal. You gotta so say it like Gary. You gotta say it like Gary. Socially, cons- socially liberal and fiscally conservative. <laughs> it's the best of both parties. A which, three-line highway right up the middle. Oh, it's just the best, and it represents most of America. I just woke up, and everything sounds like a question. Hey, everybody, how are you? <laughs> but anyway, it. it it was just really annoying because for a while I thought maybe I'm just a moderate. But when you start to really understand libertarianism, you begin to understand that it's its own distinct ideology. And I try and really tear down the notion that's, uh, that's basically you know, being a moderate. And one example I show of you know, why I also think that moderates are, are modern-day political sociopaths is this uh, great great analogy I got from a classmate of mine when I was going to Liberty University. It was in a political science course. And what he basically said was, you have two people that are arguing about a cat in the blender, and you have this progressive, and he's holding up a cat by the tail, and he's saying, I want to blend the entire cat. And then you have the conservative standing across from him saying, you are not allowed to blend the cat at all. And then you have the moderate. And he steps up and he says, wait, guys, let's just blend half the cat. So the conservative is like, 
you can't freaking blend the cat. The cat is alive. <laughs> so the moderate looks at the conservative. He's like, oh, you took a very hard line, radical stance. So he looks at the progressive. He's like, I'm going to go ahead and tell you to go ahead and blend the cat because you don't sound radical. So then the cat gets blended. So here's the question. Who's the libertarian in that situation? It's the cat because we had this conversation already. Ah, I didn't know it last ah, time, but I can pretend like I did. Yeah, you knew it. <laughs> it's the, the libertarian is the cat because whenever you have people arguing over your life, you're always the cat. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I like it. All right, uh, let's move along to chapter five. One day we'll all eat zoo animals. So around 2014, I went to Cato University. It's a summer seminar series put on by the Cato Institute in uh, in California. And I, that was one of the first opportunities I got to meet people from South America. There were, were a lot of Argentinians, Chileans, but there were a lot of Venezuelan libertarians there. And it it was one of my first actual encounters with people who were victims of socialism. One of the guys there was one of the first Bitcoin miners in the world. Mm -hmm. And later, many years later, I'd find out that he was arrested by the Maduro regime in Venezuela for mining Bitcoin because hyperinflation has just completely destroyed Venezuela. The other person that I encountered was, um, was a lawyer who was fighting for human rights and I also met this one girl who basically said, I don't care what I have to do, but I want to come to the United States because at least you guys believe in freedom and Venezuela is going to hell. So this is in 2014. And they kept emphasizing how you know things are just getting really, really freaking bad. So flash forward to 2016, I was working at the Media Research Center at the time. And one of the first assignments I was given was to monitor how often the main uh, cable news networks were discussing – what was going on in Venezuela, which was essentially all the, all the stores had run out of, um, food and that there were massive, you know, uh, massive areas of the country that were just facing other starvation. And at one point what they did was they broke into the Crocus zoo and they ate a bunch of flamingos <laughs> and other zoo animals. And at the time I was doing, um, you know, bias by the numbers and, you know, all that stuff for newsbusters with the media research center. And what we saw was that they spent more time talking about the death of Harambe than what was going on in Venezuela. Right. Now here's the one thing you don't know about Harambe. All that news became news during the summer. Harambe was killed in February of 2016. Hmm. So here you have the news networks are talking about a, just a freaking gorilla that was killed in a zoo months prior. They're defending Bernie Sanders. Meanwhile, people are literally eating zoo animals. <laughs> and what was at one point a very wealthy country. Right. Socialism. Hard at work. Oh, yeah. It always leads to that. So that that's basically telling people that, you know, watch, watch your surroundings and understand that, you know, a lot of these things that are going on, they could easily happen. And they're probably already happening. But right. you're not going to know unless you actually have some firsthand knowledge. Right. And you're right. definitely not going to get it from the news. Chapter 7, the economics of Hooters. Okay. 
So Austrian economics for a lot of people is a hard pill to swallow. And if you're like me, you got a public education, you knew, you knew less about economics when you left high school than when you went in. <laughs> so I tried to find a way to describe economics in the shortest, easiest, and best way possible. And I basically found that my favorite restaurant, Hooters, is the best example of free markets in human history. Because here you have a brand that guarantees beautiful women and good food every time. They go ahead and they live and die by consumers, whether consumers show up or not. And beautiful women enter a voluntary contract to go ahead and wear tight, revealing uniforms. So here you have it. Only, only in freedom-loving countries could they get away wearing that stuff. Right. Then you know they serve cold beer, which if it were up to the progressives during Prohibition, we'd never be able to drink alcohol again. So here you have this institution based off appealing to consumers, voluntary cooperation, allowing people to drink beer and allowing women to show as much skin as they want. And this can only happen in countries that have higher degrees of economic freedom and civil liberties because there's this old saying that says that countries that have mcdonald's will never go to war with each other and i want to take it up a notch and basically say that countries that have a hooters will not that countries that have hooters will not only not go to war with each other but they also have a higher degree of respect for civil liberties (laughs) than countries that don't so here you have basically what happens when spontaneous order comes together and it delivers something that you would have never thought of existing in a million years if you had a top-down uh, you know, command-controlled economy. And nothing spells out freedom more than Hooters. So, <laughs> America. America. So you're telling me there's no Hooters in Syria? No. What about Afghanistan? No. Really? Nope. Mm. Probably bring peace if they brought Hooters in. <laughs> It would. Some women would probably have to end up getting stoned. <laughs> They're but like, we yeah. asked for this. We hired you, but you're breaking the law, so we're going to have to stone you to death now. <laughs> Basically. Basically. I think they'd have to change the name to, like, stoners or something to that effect. You get your, your wings ankles. and your beer. Yes. You only show ankles. <laughs> you get your wings and your beer, and you get to watch the women for the first half of the meal. And then in the second half of the meal, you get to enjoy the show of them being stoned to death. Hey, you know, progress is hard sometimes. <laughs> when will they learn? All right. Chapter 11, Internet Killed the Video Star. Internet is great because it allows stuff like this to happen. Mm-hmm. And the ter- when, it, when it comes to a social share of conversations online in terms of politics – it's actually vastly owned by two factions. It's either owned by hardcore socialists or it's owned by hardcore libertarians. And the, the great thing about the internet age is that it allowed people to go ahead and talk about things and have conversations that people wanted to have, not just what the main outlets wanted them to talk about. And um, you know, the past two de- the past decade specifically, has been remarkable, but because what we've seen is a giant influx of not just libertarian content, but libertarians that actually have organic followings that they couldn't have gotten in the traditional media system. 
from Judge Napolitano's Fox show, which was started by Austin Peterson when he went ahead and basically petitioned Fox to go ahead and let the judge have a show, to Julie Borowski, to Lions of Liberty. And what you have is you have this giant ecosystem that only exists because libertarians have been able to cultivate the audience that the big networks and corporate media weren't letting Mm -hmm. uh, have a seat at the table. So what you have is basically this entirely hostile system that is, you know, in essence, disruptive technology. And the internet has been the libertarian's best friend, probably, throughout anything and everything that could have helped out the cause of liberty. The internet has done that more so than any white paper, than anything ever in the history of anything. And, you know, we really have to protect it because if we lose the internet, we're not getting this opportunity back. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, they they might be able to take down some of us like, uh, Rems of Republic, uh, but well, the rest of us stand that, strong. So they can't do it. <laughs> there you go. You know, it's funny. I did get kicked off Facebook for about a month because I said Kwanzaa wasn't real. Wow. Didn't uh, didn't uh, Crowder put out something like that, too? Yeah, and I just piggybacked off of it. I figured. So I, Sounds uh, familiar to me. <laughs> he put out this really awesome video, and I just wanted to see how many people I could trigger with it. So I just went on my fan page, and I just put Kwanzaa isn't real. And Except that was all it took? That was all it took. Wow, that's impressive. What, 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 well, what's really screwed up is I just got kicked off Facebook for about uh, 30 days. Crowder got banned from Twitter. Doesn't surprise me much because uh, Twitter is always looking for reasons to kick conservatives off their platform, it seems like. Um, so, what did, so you got kicked off Facebook for 30 days just for saying Kwanzaa isn't real? Yeah. <laughs> it was considered hate speech. Hate speech, yeah, yeah. It's just a fact. Kwanzaa's not a real holiday. Yeah, I had I, I know almost nothing about Kwanzaa except for what I saw in the Crowder video. So, yeah, I, I will agree if with you, you have, based on nothing. Yeah, like seriously, if and for listeners, if you have not seen that Crowder video, go watch it because Kwanzaa's not real. <laughs> it's just not. All right, off the Kwanzaa train, back onto uh, don't. <laughs> Stay away from the libertarians. Uh, We'll wrap it up with uh, chapter 16, making freedom fun again. Seems like a good place to leave it, possibly on a high note, unless afterwards you want to throw in some more uh, anarchy ditch digging. Your call. Oh, you know, I could always bash the anarchists some more. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I, I, I love that chapter, uh, not only because it's the shortest that I wrote, but... It's uh, it's something that I've always tried to live by, you know, for a lot of people in the political realm, especially when it comes to political consulting and campaigning, you have some people that just they run races just to win. And then they go ahead and they get in politics and they just they, they just never really do anything. They're just constantly trying to appease everybody. And the thing is, if you're a libertarian, I'm hoping you're doing I ho- I'm hoping that you're a libertarian, not because you just want a good utilitarian outcome for things, but because you understand the lifestyle freedom. And lifestyle freedom is something that I really try and, you know, I sprinkle throughout the book, but it ultimately comes down to this. The, the goal of your life is, is to live your life with as much freedom to pursue your own happiness. And if you don't understand that, you're always going to be lost. You're always going to be frustrated. You're always going to be a hamster spinning on a wheel going nowhere. 
And if we want to go ahead and show people why libertarianism is the best, you know, political, philosophical way to view the world and to interact with other people, we have to live it. Because it's not good enough just to talk about freedom. You have to try and live free. And when you're having fun in the process, people will naturally come to you because people intrinsically want that. They want to be happy. They want to live peaceful and prosperous lives. So that's the that's the biggest lesson of the book, which is you, you have to go ahead and define what freedom looks like for you and define your own happiness. And ultimately, you should do whatever you think you can do to go ahead and advance that, because I think you have an obligation to go against the the institutions that the state and the crony capitalists have done, which is basically they've tried to stick you in a mental and spiritual cage. And I mean, man, you, you got to break free and live your life because no one else is going to give you that. No one else is going to give you that freedom. We've been blessed as a country to go ahead and inherit a lot. But in the same time, we've also lost a lot. So we have to start asking, do we value this or not? And ultimately, I leave that question up to the viewer. I mean, the, the reader. So hopefully by the end of my book, they've come to, you know, not necessarily a conclusion, but a big question. How do I define freedom in my life? Absolutely. I love it. Um, now let's jump right back up to the top of the book. The foreword was written by a man named Logan Albright. Can you tell me uh, his political stance? Logan is an anarchist. Oh, I'm not sure if we should break that down or just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Logan is an anarchist. Logan is one of my, uh, you know, you know, he's a really close friend, and Logan is also one of my political mentors. Mm, he didn't do a very good job. In mentoring you, if you're, you know, so hateful against the, the anarchists, <laughs> uh, I would not have been a good pupil of Logan's uh, anarchist school of thought if I did not come to my own conclusions on things. I think if I just agreed with Logan on everything that he uh, wanted me to believe in, I wouldn't have been taking the lessons to heart, and he would be disappointed in me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you're still in apparently good standing with some. Uh, we'll see how that goes after this podcast. But, Remzo, tell everybody where they can find out information about you and your book and all that stuff, where they can get a copy of it. Uh, this, this, We're recording this a couple weeks early, but by the time this comes out, I think it's going to be like two days after the book comes out, probably. So Yeah, so by the time you're listening to this, the book is already available in Kindle and print copies on Amazon.com. So just go to Amazon and type down... Uh, stay away from the libertarians. You'll be able to get a Kindle or print copy. If you'd like uh, to pre-order a signed copy or by now just purchase a signed copy, go to R.W. Martinez. That's Remso. That's R's in Remso. W's in Whiskey. Martinez.com forward slash book. And we even accept crypto payments. So you can pay in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Steam dollars, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, or the good old PayPal to uh, get a signed copy of the book. Very cool. Now, how about uh, Haunted, Repu Haunted Republic or The Witching Hour? How can they keep up to date on the happenings with that as it comes out? Uh, Witching Hour, go ahead and check out the Facebook page for our Paranormal Investigative Team, which is Argos Paranormal. Uh, Argos Paranormal is where we're going to post updates and a little behind-the-scenes clips throughout the next couple months. And then eventually, if you follow that page, we'll go ahead and give you the uh, official launch date for The Witching Hour which will be available on uh, Fairfax County Public Access TV, as well as our YouTube channel, Argos Paranormal. Very cool. Is that A-R-G-O-S? 
Yes, sir. Cool, cool. And all uh, the links will be in the show description in the show notes, so everybody can check those out there. Uh, Remzo, looking forward to seeing the show. Looking forward to grabbing a copy of the book and checking it out. If I ever get around to reading it, I'll let you know. But uh, thanks so much for being here. It's been a pleasure, as always. And uh, you have a good one, man. You too, Dan. Take care. Hey, guys. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and always do. I love talking to Remzo. He's a fascinating individual and he has a lot going on he's a hustler uh to say the least and he has a he's a well of information on the political side way more than i ever will be so go check out his book uh stay away from the libertarians i still have yet to read it but i have purchased my copy and it will be arriving later today and i will read it i guarantee it um grab your copy go to amazon i'll post links to all that in the show description in the show notes and go check out all of his stuff with uh the witching hour and everything else that he's got going on um and of course if you're not a member of the downers club i'm just gonna i know as soon as i say that you're probably clicking off you're probably skipping ahead to make sure there's no tidbits of information after these plugs that i do every single time i gotta throw them in there i mean sometimes we have new listeners New listeners, maybe some of Remzo's fans came over because they saw that I interviewed him. But the Downers Club is what keeps the show going. Just go to patreon.com forward slash the system is down. You'll get a bunch of bonus audio content and a bunch of other things depending on the levels that you sign up for. There's different tiers of incentives. And if you're just a Remzo fan, Remzo does a bonus show with me too called Would You Rather Wednesday. So go join the Downers Club, patreon.com forward slash the system is down. And if you're not already a member of the forum, Remzo is a is a member of the System Is Down forum. You can find it by going to Facebook and just typing in the System Is Down forum. Or just go to tsidpod.com forward slash forum. There's a fair chance that sometime in the near to distant future that we will be removed from Facebook for being quote unquote offensive content because... The forum is just a place where we talk about what's going on in the world. We talk about conspiracies, politics, religion, and all the uncomfortable topics that we dig into on this show. It's a bunch of weirdos who have weird ideas that Facebook might feel threatened by. It hasn't happened yet, but if it does, you will be able to find the forum. If not on Facebook, we will host it somewhere else, and you will be able to find it by going to tsidpod.com forward slash forum. So go join that. Get in there. It's totally free, and you can interact with some weirdos such as yourself. All right. Uh, you know, all the other stuff. iTunes, go leave a review. Subscribe. Uh, let people know what they're going to get and make sure you don't miss a single episode of the show. Go to Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and all that fun millennial social network garbage and do the liking, the subscribing, the sharing, the whatever notification bells, all that stuff, everything that you can do. That's all free. And you know, it's a really good way to help boost the numbers on the show. Get the word out about how we're changing the world over here. One uncomfortable conversation at a time, just by telling people, Hey, we can talk about this stuff. It's fine. You don't have to get mad. You can just, we can think about it. I could be wrong. You could be wrong. Realistically, there's a 99.99999% chance that we're both wrong. The person that disagrees with you, the person that you think is the enemy, the person that you think is the bad guy. Yeah, they're wrong, but you're probably wrong too. Just think about that. Think about that as you go out and tell somebody about the show this week. 
Think about that as you also talk to them about something uncomfortable. Because I I say this all the time. I really think it's important. I think it's important for people to have these real conversations outside of social networks. Social networks are killing the conversations. Nobody wants to think. They just want to repost tweets. They just want to you know, repost memes and things that are somebody else's thought and say, this is my thought that I came up with on my own. It's not, but I agree with it. They made a good point. Nobody's making real points on their own. And if you talk to somebody face-to-face in person, you don't have that crutch to stand on. You might find that you're wrong. They might find that they're wrong. I strongly urge you Be real with people. Be as real as you possibly can and be as nice and generous and loving as you possibly can too because we're all people figuring this shit out together. I strongly believe that the only way that we are going to really enjoy and make the best of this life is if we invest in other people, whether it's giving them the information that they need or accepting the information that we don't realize that we need. So go out and talk to somebody. You will not regret it. There's nothing that can possibly be regrettable about it unless one or the both of you are dicks. Don't be dicks. Talk. Disagree. It's fine. Listen. That's what the show is all about. All right. That's it for me today, guys. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, of course. And as always, if you will have me, I'll be back here in your ears first thing next Monday morning with some more uncomfortable conversations, keeping it real, keeping it fresh, keeping it fun, getting bigger and better every single week. I hope you enjoy it. I enjoy you. Have a great week. Question everything and stay uncomfortable. Thanks. This has been a Goulash Media production. Goulashmedia.net. This concludes our broadcast day. Click.